Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. everyone. My name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime case to lull you to sleep or perhaps give you nightmares. It was an absolute house of horrors. Two brazen killers found their victim in a very public place and thankfully there would be CCTV footage from a local bar that would assist law enforcement in tracking them down. Only then would police discover the secrets that they were hiding, the disgusting apartment that they lived in, their disturbing fantasies, and how they eventually carried them out in real life. We're headed to the UK tonight to talk about the disappearance and murder of 42-year-old Julia Rawson. Julia Rawson was a market trader from Dudley in the West Midlands, UK. I had to Google what a market trader was because it's not a term that I'm super familiar with, but apparently it's someone who sells goods at a stall. Julia used to work at a stall selling pagan artifacts, but she had recently opened up her own shop with her best friend and former girlfriend, Elaine. Her family described her as easygoing and quick to make friends with anyone she met. They also said that she saw the good in everyone. She would almost always say what was on her mind and give it to you straight. But at the same time, she had a very big heart. One of her friends said she was the sort of person that if you asked, does my bum look big in this, she would tell you, uh, yes. It did. And honestly, I think everyone needs a friend like that. To those she was close with, she was known as Juju, and she was kind of a mother figure in her group of friends. The kind of person who would look out for you and take you under her wing if you needed any help at all. However, it's said that sometimes she was a little too trusting. She would have no issue making new friends wherever she went, but she would immediately let her guard down and allow them into her world. She was just that kind of person who enjoyed making those connections with people. Unfortunately, her ability to trust too easily would ultimately lead to her downfall, but more on that later. She was also a very talented artist and musician with the ability to play by ear, which I've always wanted to be able to do. She was very creative, and her drawings were even shown at local art shows. She was the kind of person who had her own garden, where she would grow her own fruits and vegetables, and she absolutely enjoyed the process of it all from start to finish. 
Even though Julia and her business partner, Elaine, had dated in the past and were no longer romantically linked, the two were still best friends, and they were able to maintain a really strong friendship. They spent every weekend together and would often go out to the local pubs. When others would see them out together, they knew it was going to be a great night full of laughs. On the evening of May 11th, 2019, Julia spent the night hanging out with Elaine. When the two parted ways for the evening, Julia accidentally caught the wrong bus home, but instead of getting frazzled about it, she made the most of it and decided that she would pop into a local bar known as the Bottle and Cork for a drink. While at the bar, she chatted up a man who was sitting beside her. Julia typically preferred women, that's who she was attracted to, and that's who she liked to date. However, her friends would say that sometimes she would flirt with men. It was really just part of her dynamic personality. Her interaction with this man would be caught on the CCTV from the bar. In the video, you can see the pair playfully chatting away. At one point, the man rolls up his sleeves to show her the tattoos that he has on both of his arms, and Julia appears to be having a great time. Such a great time that Julia and this man would leave the pub together, and unfortunately, this would be the last time that she was seen alive. Because she was so close to her friends and her family, her disappearance was very quickly noticed. On May 14th, a missing persons report was officially filed. No one had heard from her in the last three days, and she hadn't shown up for work, which is definitely not like her. Something was very clearly wrong. An investigation was immediately launched, and police began to retrace her steps from that evening after she left from hanging out with Elaine. Through financial statements, they were able to determine that she had stopped into the Bottle and Cork pub. This is when they were able to view the CCTV footage from the evening, and they saw Julia interacting with that man at the bar. Through the footage, they determined that around 2 a.m. after last call, Julia hopped in a taxi with this man. Police took still photos of the CCTV footage that showed the man and his tattoos and put them out to the local media. They began to show people who lived and worked in the area of Dudley where the bar was located. On May 22nd, a mall security guard contacted police to say that they had thought they seen a man who was walking around shopping that matched the description and had similar arm tattoos. Police quickly tracked the man down, and there's actually body cam footage of that interaction that I will play for you now. We're looking for a female looking missing a person. Female. It's been missing, missing for about 11 days. Okay. We've got pizza on CCTV yeah. with someone that matches your description with her. So we just want to get some details from her. 11 just, days. She's been missing yeah. for 11 days. So obviously we need to find <coughs> her. Okay. And because you, you look like the person we've seen on CCTV, we just oh, yeah, well, well, well. get some details off you. Right. Um, I'll probably chop all my what's hair the name off. Of her? <laughs> what's the name of her? Julia Rawson. Who? Julia. Julia? Julia Wilson. Rawson. 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 Do you know anyone by that name? The only women I know are just people who are his family or they were. Right. These are my partner. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Who's. You guys did it. 
The man is identified as 30-year-old Nathan Maynard Ellis, who is out shopping with his partner, 25-year-old David Leasley. In the video, they still have their shopping bags in their hands when they're approached by the officers. Basically, Nathan denies knowing who Julia is, and he denies being the guy in the CCTV footage, even going as far as to say that if he was the guy, he would have cut off all of his hair or changed his appearance in some way so as to not get caught. Which is pretty disgusting. If he's an innocent man who has just been misidentified in connection with a missing woman, You'd like to think that maybe he would show a little bit more respect and grace, not make a joke of it all. At this point, Julia has been missing for over a week. After having no activity on Julia's banking account or her cell phone, police have determined that there was no proof of life, and so they were likely now looking for a deceased person, or at the very least, she was in some kind of trouble. They were also confident that Nathan was the man seen on that CCTV footage with Julia the night that she went missing. So Nathan was arrested. His partner David was not arrested at that time, and instead he gave a witness statement, a false alibi for Nathan, stating that they were both in bed together the entire night of May 11th, which was very easily proven as false due to that CCTV footage that captured Nathan and Julia together in the bar. So, eventually, after further police questioning, David would finally go on to say that, yes, they were together in bed for the first half of the evening, but that Nathan decided to go out later on his own. Investigators decided to search their home, and what they found in the couple's condo was shocking. It was an absolute house of horrors, one that Julia likely could have never imagined she would be trapped in. There were so many things found in that apartment that were, let's say, interesting to the police. It was obvious to them that the two men had a fascination with serial killers and true crime, which of course, at first I'm like, um, yeah, same, but they were really obsessed. It was more of an admiration instead of an interest. And listen, I'm obviously very interested in true crime, mostly with all the psychology behind it and the forensics that are used to help solve these crimes. I do not admire anyone who kills another human being, and I think it's distasteful when those lines are crossed. The line between having an interest and an unhealthy obsession. The men were also obsessed with the idea of cannibalism. They had hundreds of books revolving around serial killers and the crimes they committed, as well as how they were caught. And Nathan, at one point, well, he had even taken a forensics course in his free time. And thankfully, even though they should have been more forensically aware with all of this information and knowledge that they should have possessed, they were still absolutely reckless with the crime that they committed, and they did the very bare minimum to actually try to get away with it which again, we can be thankful for. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. 
but the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right. 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Their apartment also had a ton of pet snakes that the couple owned together. A variety of tools, including axes and knives, could also be seen hanging on the wall of their home. There was a Chucky doll and tons of doll heads that were just scattered around the house. There were also disturbing latex masks and other creepy face masks. As it would turn out, Nathan was at one point a film student and had created several of his own horror movies. His apartment was filled with props from his sets and masks of characters that he had created. Which again, I feel like I need to say that in itself is not bad or indicative of a killer. I love horror films, and I have merchandise in my home of several of my favorite movies. It's when you start to make the connections between his fantasies and what he did in real life. That's when it becomes truly disturbing. A witness would come forward to say that they had seen Nathan and David burning something in a fire pit on May 12th, which would have been the day after Julia went missing. This witness was the next-door neighbor of Nathan's mother. Police found a burn pit in Nathan's mother's yard, which confirmed everything, and in it, there were pieces of burnt clothing with spots of blood on them. When they were recovered and sent to forensics, the blood would come back to match that of Julia. Back at Nathan and David's apartment, investigators noted that the carpet on the floor looked new. It didn't really match the whole tattered, messy, chaotic vibe that the rest of the flat had. 
they discovered that the couple had ordered a new carpet on May 13th, two days after Julia had disappeared, and they had it installed on May 14th. So, investigators decided to lift the carpet in the living room, and they found bloodstains on the floorboards. Forensic testing would come back to show that the blood on the floor was again a match to Julia. Police now knew that Julia never left the apartment alive. Police also learned that on May 16th, Nathan had a friend help him to dispose of the old carpet, the underlay, and an old sofa by bringing them to the dump. This friend had no idea that he was helping Nathan to dispose of evidence. He thought that he was just assisting a friend in getting rid of some old trash. Police would later recover the old carpet and the sofa, which had heavy blood staining on one side. That friend would later say that Nathan appeared to be acting completely normal that day, not out of the ordinary at all. He would have never suspected that anything had happened. Investigators decided to walk the perimeter surrounding their flat, trying to look at the area from the perspective of the killer or the killers. They thought to themselves, where could they have hidden her body? Well, unfortunately, there were no cameras placed around the apartment complex itself, but the building was located near a canal that was quite popular with joggers and people taking a walk, and they discovered there that there were security cameras along the canal. Maybe the cameras could have picked something up with regards to where they had taken Julia's body. The CCTV footage from the canal would show both Nathan and David walking away from their apartment, carrying bags with them on several different occasions. The pair looked as if they're just taking a leisurely stroll, not a care in the world. Police suspected that either evidence or Julia herself could be in those bags that they were carrying. This gave the police a general area to begin searching. They wouldn't have gone too far by foot with a dead body. But there were a lot of different areas to cover. They had to search canals, wood lines, storage facilities, drains, and many other areas. The search for Julia's body lasted for 47 days. Until, finally, police discovered two separate bags containing body parts in a wasteland. The bags were found approximately 20 meters from each other. The body parts were wrapped in black material. They were very well wrapped and they were really preserved. There were no flies around the body parts or any scent because they were wrapped so well. The cadaver dogs wouldn't even have picked up the scent. Unfortunately, because of the condition that her body was found, police were not able to determine a cause of death or how she was killed. But now they had a body to bring back to her family to lay to rest, and they would be able to secure a murder conviction. Forensics were able to determine that Julia had received at least four forceful blows to the head that would have likely rendered her unconscious, which to me is maybe the only good news in any of this. Hopefully she didn't suffer or wasn't aware of what was about to be done to her next. The evidence also suggests that it's possible that she was strangled. Her kidney was missing from the rest of her remains, but police could not confirm whether that was intentional or if maybe the kidney had simply decomposed. They weren't sure if maybe Nathan and David tried to eat it since they were so into cannibalism or if it just simply decomposed over time. 
Now, with a mountain of evidence and Julia's dismembered body, Nathan Maynard Ellis could do nothing more than to confess to what he had done. He wrote a statement, and here's what he had to say. He said he had met Julia while alone at the bar on May 11th. David stayed home that night. The two were unknown to each other before that point. She was sitting by herself and already pretty intoxicated when they began chatting. Nathan claimed that he was sober and that Julia began flirting with him. She wrote her name on a napkin and put it in his pocket and they decided to go home together. Well, this napkin would later be found at Nathan and David's apartment, so at least that much was true. A little side note here, but prior to dating David, Nathan used to date women, and he did horrible things to one woman in particular that he dated, but we'll get into that a little bit later. David claims to be gay, not bisexual, and to me this suggests that it's possible that his motive for killing Julia was not because he wanted to sexually assault her, but because he got off on inflicting pain on her. Around 2 a.m., Nathan and Julia got in the taxi together and headed back to his apartment where David was waiting. According to Nathan's statement, Julia made sexual advances towards him at the apartment, and this made him angry. He began to hear voices in his head that told him to kill her, and he said that this was because of his Asperger's syndrome and chronic depressive disorder. Basically, he blamed his Asperger's and depression instead of taking any responsibility for grabbing a rolling pin and bashing her in the head until she died. Then, he and David began to dismember her, cutting her body into 12 parts using a saw, and attempted to cover up everything that they had done, disposing of her remains in pieces in two bags, burning her clothing, disposing of the rug and the sofa. Both Nathan Maynard Ellis and David Leasley were charged with murder. However, they were charged in two separate trials. Nathan's trial was first, and it began on October 6, 2020. In addition to murder, Nathan was also charged with rape and making a threat to kill in a matter unrelated to Julia's murder, which I thought was kind of interesting, but once you hear what is alleged, it kind of makes sense because it bolsters their murder charge and why he probably did it. A woman who went only by the name C.W. said that she began a relationship with Nathan in 2007 while she was 15 years old and he was 17 years old. And I know I've been talking about some pretty horrific things in this case, but I do have to give you a trigger warning here that I'll be talking about sexual assault. C.W. said that during her relationship with Nathan, it became very apparent that he was obsessed with the idea of pain and death, and even talked about his fantasies of killing people and having sex with their corpse. She claimed that he would carry around a black hood, a rope, and a knife in case he ever had the opportunity to kill someone. He forced her to watch snuff films that were incredibly violent, graphic, and sadistic. And to keep her in line, he would threaten to kill her if she ever left him or told anyone of his violence. He would also anally and vaginally rape her multiple times, sometimes as many as seven or eight times during one incident, claiming that he had a gun with him and he would shoot her if she did not comply. CW said that anytime she would resist his advances or try to fight back, it just seemed to sexually arouse him even more, so eventually she just stopped. 
The relationship with CW eventually ended when Nathan came out as gay and began dating David. In the end, Nathan Maynard Ellis would be convicted of murder as well as four counts of rape, one count of attempted rape, and one count of making a threat to kill. In a separate trial for David, the judge would determine that while they believed Nathan to be the instigator, David must have joined in the killing once it began. And so David Leasley was also convicted of murder. The judge said, However and whenever the assault began, I am sure that you, Maynard Ellis, instigated it and took the leading role. But I am also sure that you, Leasley, readily and physically joined the attack. Both men were sentenced to life in prison, the mandatory sentence. However, Nathan received a minimum of 30 years behind bars for murder, plus 14 additional years for the rape charges, while David received a minimum of 19 years, which just doesn't sit right with me at all. I've always believed that life in prison should really be life in prison, and especially for what they did to Julia, it's truly what they both deserve. It appears this sentencing is as a result of the lack of evidence that Julia's murder was premeditated. The judge did not believe that Nathan went to the pub that evening looking for a victim. Rather, the opportunity presented itself when Julia appeared to be so friendly and forthcoming. I'm not entirely sure I believe that. But if you think about it, it's really sad. The fact that Julia was so outgoing and far too trusting, it could be the very thing that led to her murder. Not that it's her fault in any way, because it's Nathan and David who did what they did, but it seems to have been all by chance that Julia happened to be in the pub that evening sitting beside Nathan. After having to sit through all of the gruesome evidence and listen to the horrible details of what happened, Julia's family had this to say. Her death has had a devastating impact on us. The mutilation of her body and the callous way in which her remains were scattered has revolted us. We can only pray Julia knew nothing about these abhorrent acts. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I'm on YouTube. Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you could give me a thumbs up and subscribe. If you'd like more ad-free exclusive content, as well as supplemental documents and details on all of the cases that I cover, make sure you join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash serialnapper. I post two additional Patreon-only episodes over on my Patreon each month, so go check it out. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.